In today's episode, we learn about how the meat industry could hinder COP26's goals, where Earth's oceans came from, and the secrets of a mysterious volcano that spews black lava. But first, it was this week in 1901 that the first Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded to Wilhelm Ronteng for his discovery of X-rays. 121 years later, his discovery is a staple in medicine to this day. This past week, a new global report revealed that deals reached at COP26 to cut methane emissions and reduce deforestation are being undermined by global meat and dairy producers. The Collar Fair Protein Producer Index assessed 60 publicly listed animal protein producers, including the firms that supply household names such as McDonald's, KFC and Carrefour, and came to the conclusion that cows are the new coal. The food and agriculture sector is the largest driver of both methane from human activity and deforestation. In Glasgow last month, the US and EU reached a deal to cut emissions of the greenhouse gas methane by 2030. But the report reveals that despite pockets of leadership and innovation, the animal agriculture sector is unprepared for the decade of transition on climate change and could put COP's objectives at risk. Let's be very clear. We cannot keep temperature rise to below 1.5 C if we do not stop and reverse deforestation and radically reduce methane emissions. And on both counts, the livestock sector plays a key role. This is Arti Ramachandran, FAIR's head of research. Just livestock grazing alone is responsible for about 40% of forest loss. And that's just beef. If you start looking at soy, 75% of which goes into feeding the animals we eat, then the forest loss that's associated with our meat, dairy, fish and eggs is, is much higher. And similarly, when it comes to methane emissions, this is one. This sector is one of the primary contributors of global methane emissions, around 44%. And what our research is showing is that the biggest companies in the sector, those that produce the meat and the dairy that goes into our grocery shelves and comes onto our plates, they're still not doing enough to curb this problem. Uh, less than one in five of the big companies that we cover even track methane emissions, and that that is, you know, partial methane emissions. So, and and very few of them are actually setting targets or articulating specific plans to reduce methane. So, that's a pretty big issue. What's the main issue with monitoring levels of methane and deforestation? Well, one issue with methane from livestock is is that it's cows that belch out the large quantities of heat-trapping methane, uh, making beef one of the most carbon-intensive foods we eat. It's hard to, to quantify this methane accurately from because um, we need to quantify it from, from over a billion heads of cattle on the planet. It's, it's very dispersed. And, and when it comes to deforestation, it's a similar story. Most of the worrying forest loss that takes place today is, is happening in Brazil, which is one of the, the biggest exporters of, of beef and soy globally, where we're losing the Amazon to this. Uh, but, the, but the supply chain is very fragmented. Large beef companies that operate in this region today really simply don't have the visibility into parts of their supply chain that, that contribute the most to this forest loss because the cattle is constantly changing hands and there is a, a significant uh, problem of cattle laundering that companies have, have yet to tackle. So with these roadblocks, do you think that COP26 will ultimately achieve anything significant? Well, COP26 has been helpful in, in continuing to raise the alarm on the need for us to act quickly to avoid the worst effects of climate change. 
But, um, you know, I must say from a fair perspective, we were quite disappointed to see the lack of focus and attention on the role that, that food plays in driving climate change. We, we certainly hope that will uh, change in the next year. Earth's getting its own black box that will track climate change and other man-made perils and potentially document civilization's downfall. Blimey. Earth Black Box is a structure and device that will record every step that humanity takes towards or away from the impending climate catastrophe. Australian scientists and artists are looking to hold the world accountable for the Earth's future by creating an indestructible storage device to record humanity's handling of the climate change crisis. Inspired by an aeroplane's flight recorder, the Earth's Black Box is a bus-sized structure that's indestructible to the climate crisis itself and designed to outlive humans. It's going to be built in 2022 on the remote west coast of Tasmania and be filled with storage drives containing climate change-related data such as average temperatures and global consumption. Its creators range from University of Tasmania researchers and a marketing communications company, Cleminger BBDO. Here's their very own Jim Curtis. We're at a critical juncture of uh, the climate catastrophe. Um, I think that you know, we've been stalling with a lot of inaction and um, the point of the, the Earth Black Box, it's, it has a multitude of, of uses. I think the, the first one, just like a, an aeroplane black box flight recorder, if the worst is to happen and, and uh, you know, as a civilization, we, we do crash as a result of climate change. Um, this indestructible box will, will be there um, and we'll record every detail of that, every inaction and, and action that we take towards that. Now, whilst this might sound catastrophic, the researchers and creators are hopeful that Earth's black box can become a learning opportunity. All the data that's being um, recorded is is open sourced and available to everyone online to, to look at. Um, all the data will also be used as an educational tool at schools and, and universities. Um, so, yes, it, it, it is a learning tool and, and hopefully something that will will ensure that we don't need it to be an indestructible um, black box in the end. Um, so it has a it has a couple of uses. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am hoping that um, it, it, it has a, a happy ending and we're not just <laughs> building this for, for the worst. Still, Jim wants the black box to inspire action before it's all too late. I think that we've, we've seen so many projects and, and campaigns to try and get people to to realise how close we are to a catastrophe. So um, a concept as, as potent like this hopefully will inspire people to, to really take action before it's too late. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we talk to a researcher about where our planet C's first originated and Doja Cat becomes Doja Code. With more than 70% of Earth's surface made up of oceans, water's our planet's defining feature. It's vital for this life, but how did it end up here? Earth's far more water-rich than any other planets in our solar system, but scientists have long struggled to know where all of that has come from. Now, there's new research that points to a previously overlooked source, the Sun. It suggests that solar radiation could have created water on the surface of dust grains carried on asteroids that smashed into our planet billions of years ago. Dr Luke Daly is from the University of Glasgow and the study's lead author. 
We were very generously given three particles that were all about the width of a human hair from the Japanese Space Agency. The Japanese Space Agency had retrieved uh, several hundred of similar sized particles from the asteroid Itakawa, and we were hoping to explore the surface of these grains and how they'd been affected by a process called space weathering. Some studies had suggested that you could potentially produce water by solar wind irradiation of rocks. The way that works essentially is you fire hydrogen ions or a proton at a rock, uh, it boots out something like iron or magnesium and nicks an oxygen to produce OH. Then another hydrogen ion comes in and produces H2O, which we know as water. Using a brand new tool called Atom Probe Tomography, they analyze these particles to see if they could detect that water. Literally tears apart a tiny, tiny sample like these tiny grains, one atom at a time. And so we can measure exactly what that atom, or in our case, molecule of water, well, what it is, and also where it was in the sample. What we were basically seeing is molecules of OH and H2O, or water, in the outer 40 to 60 nanometers of these grains was enriched by about an atomic percent which is a huge amount. So basically like 1% of this grain was now water produced by the solar wind. That means if you took a cubic meter of soil from the asteroids those particles came from and melted it, you'd get 20 liters of water from solar wind alone. And that brings us all the way back to our early solar system when you're throwing carbonaceous asteroids at our young forming Earth. In and amongst that, it's an incredibly dusty place. There is lots of fine grained dust flying around. There is a very energetic young, young sun firing all sorts of solar wind uh, radiation at these grains and they would be rich in water too and they're going to fall onto the earth. And so if you bring those two together, you could potentially explain Earth's oceans by accreting some fine grain material alongside these carbonaceous asteroids. And so we potentially now have a complete explanation of the delivery of Earth's ocean. You know Doja Cat? Well, here comes Doja Code. Doja first burst onto the scene in 2018 with her cow-themed track Moo and has more recently been making your favourite TikTok tunes, including the viral hit Woman. Now Doja's partnered with Girls Who Code, the non-profit that aims to get more women and girls into computer science to debut what it calls the first ever codable music video. In collaboration with the American pop artist, the organisation has transformed her new music video for Woman into an interactive experience. You can try the experience out for yourself at dojacode.com. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure game, except with beginner-level code. It plays just like Doja Cat's original video, but you get to make decisions about what it looks like throughout. For example, her nail designs or create other special effects. The website will show you how to work with different programming languages like JavaScript, CSS and Python. At the end of the experience, you get to see what each area looks like after you finish coding it, which you could then download and share to social media. Still to come on the Sunday 7, a mysterious black lava volcano and a company that's turning classic cars green. Right after th There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Situated atop a mountain in Tanzania, there's a mysterious volcano that spews a bizarre black lava. Ole Donyo Lengai is the only volcano known to spew out carbonite lava, which could offer fresh clues about Earth's mysterious mantle. It's certainly a sight to behold when the volcano erupts instead of hot red lava, what looks like runny black ink spills from open craters, but getting hold of a sample is no simple matter. Kate Laxton is a researcher from UCL and she went to Tanzania to study the unique phenomenon. She shared what she knows with new scientists. Rather than looking at the differences between Odonyolengai and other volcanoes, what are the similarities? What technologies that we use at other volcanoes to monitor them can we use here? When the lava cools and mixes with the atmosphere, it turns a silvery white. Most lava contains a fair amount of silica, but not this one, making it one of the most unique volcanoes in the solar system. So Odonyolengai is unique in the sense that it produces these effusive eruptions of natural carbonatite, but then it likes to explode every now and then with a silicate uh, lava. So that dynamic, that switch between effusive natural carbonatite volcanism and explosive silicate volcanism isn't very well understood at all. And those switches are what make this volcano particularly hazardous. It is unique in the sense that it erupts at very low temperatures for what we expect of lava. So it erupts anywhere between 400 and 600 degrees Celsius. Because the explosive eruption carved out this deep 100 meter crater, no one's been able to access the crater floor to collect samples like we used to by hand, using a, a scoop, for example. The lava samples collected contain vital clues to the planet's underworld. Chemical signatures can reveal where in the mantle the lava came from, but also how these ingredients were cooked up in the first place. But there's more to this volcano than just its strange black lava. For me, I wanted to bring it back down to Earth and actually think about the real impacts that this active volcano has on the local communities and how we can better monitor this volcano because it's an attraction for tourists, it's a religious site for the local people and all of these different dynamics play such an important role in making the area what it is. It's the source of what I consider the fertility of the Serengeti. The ashes from Odonyolengai provide the nutrients that the Serengeti depends on. So there's this whole connection with Odonyolengai and the environment around it. And I think that's what makes it so special for the local communities and why it's so important to that. It absolutely blows your mind to be on the edge of that crater. I would go back in a heartbeat. This is beauty so rare, we are required to preserve it with the power of a new generation. This is the Aston Martin DB6. Remastered and electrified by Lunas. The popularity of electric vehicles has some companies looking to break into a new industry, turning fossil fuel cars green. 
You know, you've got a lot of OEMs currently producing new vehicles, going into the electric vehicle space, but no one really focusing on what already exists. The voice you just heard is David Lorenz, CEO and founder of Lunas, a company that converts classic cars into electric ones and restores them to their original beauty. I wanted something that was going to be a catapult lightning rod for Lunas to get us out to market. And classic cars, pinnacle classic cars, some of the British best marks, Astons, Range Rovers, Rolls Royces, Bentleys and Jaguars, got us to market. So we decided to re-engineer and remanufacture classic cars, taking the cars back. You know, we restore these vehicles, nut and bolt restoration. It is not just a conversion of a vehicle. It's putting the vehicle back to as new or better than new. The company's MD, John Hilton, says that in this market, it's important to think about the carbon from the original production. We've got to get out of this cycle of, of buying new and just throwing away things that have got lots of usable life left in them. But very often, the process of fixing all of that stuff is not so difficult and we just need to get our heads into a different place because the amount of embedded CO2 there is in the car, in the body, in the chassis, in all the big heavy pieces, there is so much CO2 there. And if we keep uh, building new, you know, we are, we are destroying the planet. And if you think you'd miss the distinctive rumble and purr of the classic car, John says you really can't feel the difference. I love that noise, but honestly, if you drive our 1950s Jaguars and you're cruising along the, the road at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, you couldn't hear the engine anyway. It was overwhelmed by tyres and wind noise. And these cars, when you're driving down the road on a sunny day, it's just as if you're in a petrol one. You really can't tell the difference. Only really when you sat still at the traffic lights that you might notice the engine noise missing. And if you really want it, we can fit a noise generation system. Although, honestly, none of our clients have asked for it. <laughs> Last month, Clara, a 40-year-old southern white rhino, was put to sleep at Whipsnade Zoo after refusing food. Southern white rhinos were thought to be extinct in the late 19th century, but after more than a century of protection and management, they're now classified as near-threatened, and around 18,000 animals exist in protected areas and private game reserves. Clara's DNA and tissue were taken during a post-mortem exam and will go on to help protect the species against future extinction. We keep several live white rhinos here at Whipsnade, but we also keep a DNA bank. So we took samples of DNA from this rhino to store, so there'll be a copy of her genome available for all time. And we also took a sample of cartilage from her ear. So even though she's gone, her cells will hopefully live for many years hence and can be used to study white rhino biology and genetics. All of the findings that we find from this post-mortem will be stored on an international system called the Zoo Information Management Service, which allows people from other zoos to access this information. And we also take in a lot of samples to be given to collaborators and for our own research projects. The southern white rhino already faces threats in the wild from habitat loss and poaching, but scientists hope to make sure the species isn't also threatened by disease. Doing post-mortems on a single animal doesn't just aid our understanding of the disease in that animal, it aids it understanding in all of our animals in our zoos, all of that species in the wild. As a pathologist for ZSL, we have animals ranging from the tiniest corals and spiders up to things the size of rhinos and elephants, and every single one of them gets a post-mortem. By studying her cells to see what mutations she's accumulated, we can see whether rhinos age the same way humans age, whether they're better at resisting aging or worse, and we can use all those comparisons to really properly understand the aging process, the development of cancers, the development of heart disease. 
So the materials, the information, the samples that we've collected today will go on to influence how we look after the species, how we conserve this incredible species in the wild for years to come and will contribute to huge amounts of scientific research and data. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.